Welcome, 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 welcome back, y'all, to the Guy Live BDB Jam Session. Happy Friday. Shout out to Rochelle and shout out to Jesse, who's like, are we just jamming today? We're always jamming, man. We're always jamming. And shout out to Bio, Ere Bio. <laughs> We're doing well today. Thank y'all so much for joining us on this special Friday episode once again. You know, I'm really excited. In fact, today we have a super special guest for you all to jam out with and listen to. And potentially, you know, vibe with and learn from in terms of the things that he's been doing, what he's been building in the venture capital space. You know, have any of you all heard of Ox 21 Capital? Well, if you haven't, you will today. They're one of the hottest funds and firms coming out of the U.S., led by none other than Chinedu Inekwe. And we're going to talk a little bit about Chinedu's background how he became the partner at Ox21 Capital, what inspired him to start the fund and the firm, and fundamentally what he sees happening in the venture capital landscape and his background as an entrepreneur, a security attorney, and what led him up to this point. I'm super excited to dive in with him. But before we dive in, I want you all to show him some love. Show him some love. Let him know where you all are tuning in from, what city, what state, what country. What are you eating this Friday? (laughs) afternoon or evening depending on where you're at and how is your friday going show us some love let us know where you're tuning in from so we can give you a shout out throughout the course of the episode and by the way for those of you who are really tuning in and you are loving that jam i just played it's called you called and told me by jeff red which is included in an album with various artists and shout out to the smooth occasion experience team who has curated a big black tea too many cups of big black tea playlist for us. And I was just playing the volume one of the playlist. I love those guys. They have done us a tremendous favor by curating this playlist. It's been a game changer for me and every episode that I start with our amazing guests. So please check out the Smoothication experience on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And fundamentally, please, if you're tuning in right now, tell your friends to tune in with us. 
so they can learn and jam out with our guest and with us on today's show. So once again, Ox21 Capital is a brand new VC fund investing in the future of commerce. Think about consumer, retail, and finance technologies, creating market access for the next generation of internet users with checks at 500K to $2 million in their seed, seed and C plus round and CSA rounds. They back founders that tap into the pulse of global human connections to build once in a lifetime opportunities. They are founder friendly and they're led by a founder <laughs> named Trinadu, who I'm going to be talking with right now, who is a partner, one of the partners at Ox21 Capital. But he has a really interesting background and what led him into VC and what inspired him to start the fund. And man, I want to really dive in on his background because this guy is tremendous in what he's doing. But more importantly, if you have any questions for him or I, as we go through this episode, let us know. We'll answer your questions. We'll show you some love. Shout out to Jesse who's saying Seattle is in the building. Much love to Seattle. Used to live there. Rochelle is like from Diamond Bar, California in the house. Man, we love the love. We love the energy. With that said, let's go ahead and bring on Chinedu. Chinedu, what's up, man? How you doing, brother? <laughs> I'm fine. How you doing? Man, dude, just happy to see another day, man. Happy <laughs> to see another day. Man, where are you at right now, man? I'm in D.C., Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Place, How's yeah. the- Oh, Washington D.C. must be live right now, given all of the, the the positivity happening on that side of town. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, I feel like that we were the epicenter of foolishness, and now we have uh, become a very, you know, the weight has been lifted, the cloak has been removed. Everyone is sort of partying in the streets. You know, D.C. voted ninety two percent for Biden, right? Wow, <laughs> so that tells you you know, kind of the, the experience that we've had, you know, there's not many other places you'll get 92%. It was like a, a, an election in a foreign country where you see 92% of people voted for something. That's DC. So we're, we're actually happy. We're happy. Dude, no, it's, it's good to see that. You know, I think, you know, 2020 was rocky and it's kind of still rocky in 2021, but you know, it almost feels as if things are moving towards a positive direction with all that's going on in the U S um, with, um, the new leadership we have in charge, but you know what? I want to have I want to have us talk and dissect a little bit about your background, man. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you get to living in D.C. and and what about your experiences brought you into living in D.C. Because you used to be a former securities attorney, so how did you get into the venture capital landscape, man? I think that's that's one of the um, that story is foundational to me, right? Yeah. Like, so uh, I was uh, in law school and I had a chance interview with a major law firm called wild gotcha and mangies right and i interviewed and in that interview my first degree was in engineering so when i had this law school uh, interview with this partner there he explained to me what private equity was and at Mm. the time i had no clue at all right i didn't even Mm. understand what the investment or business side of the house of the world was right so when i actually accepted the offer i i I did well in the interview and then I got an offer at this firm and the firm I was working in private equity fund formation. Right. So I did this private equity fund formation. And the very first transaction I worked on was for bio Agunlesi at um, the global infrastructure partners. And this was mm. his first fund. Right. So I learned about what private equity was, or just generally alternative assets that you could go out and talk to the people that saved money or had a whole bunch of money and ask them to give you the money to invest in others who are entrepreneurial. 
I didn't understand that was a job before. But once I found out it was a job, I said, I want that job, right? That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a real good job. Exactly. <laughs> that sounds great. It ain't got to, I don't have to invest all the money. So that was the first step, right? Yeah. And it, in the sense of the desire. And then the next step was mm-hmm. when I was working as private equity fund formation attorney. And the first transaction I did, I actually saw someone with, that was a Nigerian immigrant like mm-hmm. myself sitting across the table and had two firms and trust him with $30 billion to mm. invest in infrastructure, global infrastructure. And I said to myself, so not only is this like a dream that's possible, like, mm. you know, mythically, I was able to see representation across the table. And I said, so a Nigerian immigrant can raise $30 billion? Mm. I There's a path for me, right? Yeah. So. That is how things started for me. And that's how what led me eventually to, you know, I knew I wanted to be an investment manager. It's only when I started, um, you know, I went from law to investment banking at Merrill Lynch. And then I moved to a smaller firm focused on Africa called Dinosaur Securities. And in my experience in investment banking, I really worked with, you know, entrepreneurs and helping them expand their business in terms of securing capital to fund their projects. And I recognized that I really like love that entrepreneurial spirit, right? Mm. And then I, I also had my own entrepreneurial spirit. I started my own startup. And basically, my lens was I wanted to leverage my entrepreneurial spirit and then get back into the space that I wanted to be, which was investment management, right? I recognized, I learned in the process of helping out with private equity fund formation that there's this little thing called GP commit which is the real barrier to entry for most venture capitalists. It's the idea that you have to also invest alongside your investors. And when I realized that, and that meant that you had to put up one to two to 10% of the money you co-invest with your investors, which means like if you have a hundred million dollar fund, you have to put up a million dollars. So your first problem, if you want to get into venture capital is getting that million dollars. Yeah. You need capital. (laughs) Yeah. You need capital. So Mm. That was basically how I started to think through, how am I going to get into this business? I recognized how the business is structured early on. I came in contact with, um, you know, throughout my professional career, I started to learn of, you know, how entrepreneurship works, how startups Mm. work. I launched my own. I was able to be successful with that. And then I said, you know, I want to be on this side of the house, not like these big, huge transactions in terms of, you know, the infrastructure transactions, which was my professional experience in terms of deal making and such. Mm. I knew that the part that really got me going throughout the day was talking to founders, helping Mm. them kind of build out their dreams, navigate transactions and and sort of opportunities that came their way. Think strategically over the long haul and and in the instance case. So once I recognized that, I said, you know, that's where I want to be. And that's where I started with venture. I started my own accelerator with my partners. And uh, we were very lucky in terms of our accelerator. We, you know, had three exits mm-hmm. over 30. Uh, while I was the executive director, we had like 37 companies that co- went through the program. So very well-known names, wow. we call it Hello Tractor, Tastemakers Africa, Quelly TV, um, a whole host of names, you know, but a lot of great people 
Mm. And I knew that I wanted to make this like a full-time job, right? So that's when I joined as principal of a firm called Exponential Creativity Ventures. And because I, you know, am a glutton for punishment, I also started my own syndicate called Affinity VC, which was like a community of deal flow coming from a lot of black and brown VCs Mm. that was then channeled either into syndicates around angels. And then that's when I met my partner, uh, Mark Fleming, who was at Alibaba, who was investing off of Ant Financial's balance sheet. And in that, it was like, yo, immigrants are the vibe, right? We, yeah, we yeah, recognize yeah. in our sort of track, in our history of the startups that we backed or with my accelerator, the type of people that entered it and kind of the people that have built these like next gen platforms that we had already been investing alongside. We just recognized the pattern that immigrants have always been our thesis. Both of he and I are second generation immigrants. And we were like, well, you know, this is our fun. This is, this is what makes us special. Not only do we have the experience of living in other spaces, what we call ourselves venture nomads, that we've been in other countries, understood those venture landscapes. And then we are also here in the United States. And there's not that many people with that experience just frankly, mm. right? So I said, well, this makes us special, right? We've invested this way. We are this way. We're venture nomads. There's a whole bunch of people that would benefit from our uh, experience um, collectively. And so we launched O21, and it's a $50 wow. million dollar seed fund focus, like you said, on the future of commerce. And uh, we are we love founders that are immigrants, and we mm. love those people who think with a global lens um, even though they're building locally, but they understand the world around them and the sort of trends, consumer trends, fintech trends that are happening globally so they can apply them locally. I love that, Matt. And let me ask you, when you when you were inspired to start O21, given your experience, because you've seen venture capital from so many different lens, you're like, you know what? We can do this. Like we <laughs> have the capacity. I have the intelligence. And then I know what I love to do. You know, did you ever face any pessimism? Did anyone tell you, bro, you can't do it? You act like what? Did you ever hear that negativity, <laughs> Well, you know, that's the funny part. There's a whole bunch of negativity that kind of permeates the discussion of black people and mm-hmm. venture capital. Like there's just not enough coming to us. There's not enough this. And I agree, mm-hmm. all of those things are factual, right? Mm. So I get that all the time, but it's hard to tell a person that first professional transaction was a $30 billion fund that was formed by a black immig- a black person yeah. that you can't do it. So my ceiling just didn't exist. It was like, I hear you, but all the time right so there's tons of pessimism and i think that that's going to be you know that's never going to stop right Mm -hmm. i've never not heard people tell me i'm not going to do it like when people told me when i launched tip hub which was my accelerator that we're not going to be able to do a a demo day uh because we're in dc you know not a first tier or even what you would consider a second tier market and venture and that we wouldn't have the right place we ended up doing it at the world bank right so I, I always have heard over time like that these things wouldn't happen. When I said I wanted to get into African um, investment banking, you know, I didn't have, I never lived in any African country, right? Yeah. And I had no real experience that was on offer, but I was able to do it. So I've always sort of known that there will be impediments, but the 
95% of it is showing up despite what mm. people say, right? Like, so if you're in the room, you're already ahead of most people, right? So, mm. yeah. so I'm not worried. I'm not, I'm yeah. never worried. It, at, yeah. And it's really about how you move and the relationship and the tenacity, mm. man. Even for me as a, as a founder and an investor as well, mm -hmm. it's funny how often people love to put you in, in, in like, in this kind of like segment of like, oh, you're just the founder. Like you should just focus on building the business or you shouldn't understand the value of your business and, and what you're doing. And I think a lot of founders, because a lot of people don't realize fund managers are founders, them, founders themselves. Exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. Like, you guys have to raise capital as well from institutional funds or even, you know, big time angels and, you know, guarantee them a, a return. So, you know, there's a, there's two sides of the coin where you all are facing your own battles. And I think a lot of people don't often realize that or empathize with that, that you all are also like in the front lines doing your thing as well. And, you know, one, one thing I've often found from amazing people such as you that I speak with is that like, you all just get it done regardless, right? Like you see, you see all of the negativity, you see, mm -hmm. you read all of the articles, all of the blogs, but that doesn't stop you from doing you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's a hundred percent. I think one of the other things that I would say, there's, you know, no one should really cry for most fund managers. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> I, let's, well, I'm not going to be, there's no pity party for fund managers, but I definitely agree. Fund managers are business. They, they were founders. They run their, mm. they're running a business. It just so happens that our time horizon is different than, mm. um, than, than most founders. Right. And we are, you know, some might call it parasitic. I call it, you know, symbiotic, where we need you, where whereas you guys don't necessarily need us. So mm. we're 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 industry that needs others as opposed to um, another way. But what I would say about us that, and I was having this discussion with a fund manager just just before we jumped here, is that because we have to, you know, fund startups you might have to raise capital. It might take you 12 weeks, right? And it's yeah. brutal. No one likes it. It's horrible. Just recognize that most fund managers spent 12 months at least, right? Mm. So multiply what you are going through times four. Most fund managers that are able to raise their funds are empathetic with what you're going through, mm. right? So they understand it they're in the space especially if they're people of color or they're you know underrepresented in the industry they they got it worse right um someone probably told them you know if they're it's it's a it's the funniest thing i always recognize that someone will say to me because i'm black they'll say have i talked to this so-and-so black person yeah i always wonder though just as an aside yeah does every black person they meet get recommended to the same other black person? Because, <laughs> you know, cause like, that's not going to work. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Cause you know, so, uh, you know, and then the, it's the, uh, mm. most people just don't understand the challenges that fund managers face, especially underrepresented fund mm. managers. So I appreciate that you call that out, but like I always say, don't really feel any yeah. sort of, kind of uh sympathy for fund managers just know that we're we're fighting the same fight an uphill battle yeah. um but we just have a longer time horizon and i think it's and i love that you say that because that's perspective that's nuance and mm -hmm. i always kind of share that too even in my journeys like a lot of people i often talk about like i've raped like we've been fundraising for 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 guys like we're always fundraising right for me i think <laughs> fundraising never ends to be honest with you. we're adventure right i've mm -hmm. had 
I've had a lot of people give me no's or mm-hmm. not even not, not even hear back from them, but that hasn't stopped us from building. And even even for me, like while we've been building, I've invested in some companies, whether mm-hmm. it be angel checks or mm-hmm. not, that I feel as if we're really confident about. But there's like I always give people nuances that I'm not mad that people have passed on us. I can, you can't force everyone to just invest in. That's not that's not how fundraising works, or that's not even how building a company works. If anything, we've always been focused on customers. But I think that nuance of what you share is that you like don't feel sorry for fund managers. Is because at the end of the day, you're building a business, right? <laughs> you're, you're 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 trying to find LPs that believe in what y'all are doing, and then invest in founders that fit your thesis. And I think that's a powerful nuance for those who are listening. And if you are want to start a fund, if you want to start a syndicate. Like you have to think with this lens that on day one, you're not going to figure things out. It's going to be a process by day, by month six, by month 12, things are going to start working your way. I would ask you, Chinedu, you know, for you in your journey, has there been someone that's really helped you kind of giving you that lift to where you're at today? Uh, that's interesting. There's different people at different moments of my career. Right. Um, and uh, what I would say is sort of in venture, there's a few people that I would say are, are my um, North Stars. Mm. Um, and so the in venture, there's one woman that I have to always celebrate. It's Lauren mm. Ruffin. Right. So and she was a law school classmate of mine. And she was working at a nonprofit that was going to anchor, be an anchor LP in what eventually became Exponential Creativity Ventures. She sat me down at lunch one day, said, Chinadu, I know you're in venture. I know you know startups. Um, We are about to do something and I think you need to be involved, right? So, you know, this is something like that was a conversation that I always dreamt would happen. But it was basically my classmate that understood and saw the kind of my ascension into the startup sphere and said, you know, I would like you to help steer this ship. Right. Mm. So Lauren Ruffin, I will never like she she's uh, she's the holy grail. She started out. And but that's what venture is oftentimes people that invest in you because they know you and they they mm. want your special sauce or your little whatever you have to to bring to the table, their perspective. And then um, there's another person who's been an invaluable guide and his name is Denmark West, right? Wow. Um, Denmark West is the, um, amongst other things, besides being a fund manager, he's, you know, brilliant guy that, you know, polymath, multidimensional knowledge set, has worked at, you know, investing. He's been an LP, he's managed his own fund. He would worked in corporate venture and, you know, sort of has been in the technology ecosystem and the leader in it for black people for, you know, the last 20 years by and large, moving from MTV to BT, from BT to MTV to um, investing out of his own pool of capital. Mm. And um, one of the things that he has given me where, you know, it's always great to have a mentor and a, that has what I would say a deep perspective of what it will be like for you to move through your own professional journey, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he is so thoughtful as to how he 
sort of breaks things down just generally. If you ever speak with him, you you think that you're, um, you know, you're getting <laughs> a blessing. Yoda. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> so, but one of the things that was the most beneficial is that, like, he, anytime I talk to him, he, like, you know, it's almost like a chiropractor. He, like, sets me, he, like, sets, puts me back in place, right, um, of my perspective on all the things that I'm going through in the industry. Uh, so um, those two people, I would say, are my, like, the people that are my guardian angels in the industry right now. Bro, I love that, man. Shout out to Lauren Ruffin. And what, what, was, the, what was his name? Denmark West. Denmark West. Mr. Denmark West and Lauren Ruffin. Much love to y'all. We're showing y'all love on the God Live BDB Jam Session podcast. You know, with All21 and mm-hmm. where you all are at now, man, and, you know, you, with how you all have created the fund, why the thesis? You know, what about now in, in terms of how things are changing with venture capital, derive the thesis that you all have created? And what are you seeing in terms of the trends in venture capital that that really is kind of it's it's uh it's giving you positive momentum to continue building what you're do- you're doing with O twenty one. So you know sometimes when you're in a space like uh, startups or technology, it's hard to gain the perspective of what trends are shaping the sort of what are the overall trends that are shaping opportunities that you can invest in, right? Mm-hmm. And especially right now, where technology is not kind of the leadership in technology is not cited solely in Silicon Valley or in the United States in general, right? If you look at the past decade, the amount of unicorns created are half and half in China and the United States, and even increasingly in different regions like Southeast Asia and India. And what that means, though, is that these new ecosystems across the globe are setting their own trends, creating their own narrative around and behavioral sort of applications of technology. So that's one of the greatest things that we saw. So our our investment thesis is that the future of commerce is going on the internet, especially is going to be built and largely driven by the how we serve the next generation of internet users. Right? Mm. So, and those next generation of immigrant users are going to, by and large, there's 2 billion people that are not actively using the internet for commerce. The, a lot of those people are going to come from different regions from around the world. So what are those trends that are happening and shaping what the opportunities are? If you want to scale globally, you're going to have to learn and be apt to opportunities that are going to exist in the Chinese population, in the Indian population, in the Southeast Asian population, in Africa, in LATAM, in the global South just generally. And that's where a lot of the technology leadership is, right? Especially around commerce, right? Mm-hmm. Because they don't have a lot of the rails that previously existed before the internet age, right? So they don't have a lot of the systems like in America, we have the ACH and the, these Fed systems that are 50 years old, <laughs> right? So they don't have that legacy infrastructure, which allows them to rebuild the infrastructure. You know, a lot of people talk about M-Pesa and mobile banking, or uh, people talk about Ant Financial and their financial marketplace, which has set a standard, or people talk about in India, you talk about the identity system, which now has allowed the, the uh, FinTech ecosystem to just like take off in, in spades, but understanding all of those trends and how they mix and how in Southeast, uh, in Latin America or Brazil, you have, you know, CRMs that are built mobile first, meaning 
you know, they integrate with conversational messaging platforms like WhatsApp or Telegram or all of these things, which then mm. you it's a have a you have to have a different mind shift of mm. where will the where are users that are going to come onto the internet, especially ones that have the buying capacity to drive enough revenue that you can build a business upon. How what type of business models can key into that? We believe wow. that that sort of opportunity of the future of commerce that exists within the next generation of internet users is going to be built by the ones in America are going to be built largely by people that have linkages and a true understanding of what those ecosystems, how they operate and how they operate that has changed. Right. Mm. And that means what, how are people communicating? So the social media, how are people um, transacting? So the financial rails, how are people sending packages? What is the e-commerce platforms? Mm-hmm. And the um, other leg of this is how are, what, what are the conversational platforms that people use? So the messaging platforms, all of these tiers have changed where before in 20, 2008, um, there wasn't WhatsApp, there wasn't a global... Mm-hmm. Um, there, all of these technology giants didn't exist and there was real infrastructural impediments for to make them exist. Like most times people think of internet as like magic. Like I turn on my phone and the internet works, but around the world, that wasn't the case, right? There wasn't switching technology. There wasn't under undersea cables that allowed enough bandwidth for people to afford the internet in a reasonable fashion. We take it for granted, man, every mm-hmm. single day. <laughs> exactly. But what's happened over this same t- time period from 2005 or 2000 to now is the world has caught up, right? Mm-hmm. They can do a lot of places around the world has caught up. But that also means there's this unique opportunity set that United companies in the United States have to expand globally, market themselves globally, send products globally, hmm. distribute financial products globally, uh, you know, communicate with their audience or their customers globally where they did not have it before. If you wanted to advertise in, uh, let's call it South Africa, before you had to get a, uh, you know, you had to survey the market. You couldn't just micro target the same customer base that you have in the United States and might and find that same lookalike audience in South mm. Africa and just market it. You actually have to do market surveys. It had to be a richer, a more developed experience. And not to t- cut away from the fact that you still have to do that work to some extent to understand mm. what those audiences want. But there's just a new level of an opportunity that didn't exist before, that exists now, that the future of commerce is like the core nugget around that, mm. the type of entrepreneurs that we're backing is another nugget because those people have to know of these opportunities. They have to key into them. They have to believe in them. Um, the belief that they can scale in the United States and also find lookalike customers in any global market and localize to sort of capture that opportunity. That's amazing. And, you know, it's funny because uh, some of the momentum that's happened with companies like Paystack in, in Africa um, kind of lend to your thesis to a degree in the sense of they had a POV in that market and they were able to build an amazing company. They eventually sold to Stripe. Um, and but you guys are really focusing it on the domestic markets in the U.S. and expecting those founders to be able to scale it globally. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. But, you know, there's a, to, a, to some extent we would have invested in Paystack. They were they would have been you know, yeah. business, business uh, immigrants in the United States 
And to the extent that there is cross-border payments from the United States into Africa mm. for e-commerce goods or into Africa for tourism or whatever kind of component, that's an opportunity for mm. them. And, you know, Flutterwave has also keyed into this. There's so many significant opportunities like this, like Tala, there's Branch, there's very significant nine-figure um, sort of valuation companies that are being built basically in Silicon Valley like Smile Identity is another yeah. one built by Mark Straub. There's a lot of opportunities in terms of building what the future of commerce looks like in the rails that enable it. So a lot of B2B opportunities, not just B2C, mm. that provide a, a lens that most people aren't looking at, not most people aren't talking about, which is, you know, that's our opportunity because because it's the the landscape is not so readily seen, not just in Africa. Same goes for Southeast Asia. I could rattle off like 15 or 20 companies that are building amazing um, kind of they have reached scale or they're building tools that kind of allow that scale to be international, have key people to key in. So, you know, I I was uh, I'm a Techstars mentor. Right. Mm -hmm. And last year, Techstars Western Union Accelerator, where I was a mentor. Um, at as well. I'm kind of a mentor in many of their programs. Their um, they, their goal was to bring in opportunities. And one of the reasons why they brought me in was because they brought in a lot of founders that were basically operating uh, and with opportunities that could scale, right? Because Western Union has international scale and international focus in addition to their domestic business. And that's sort of the lens that they, they mm. I brought to the table. And there were so many startups in that accelerator that basically you'll see that I've seen, there's just so many companies that have that ability to build cross-border technologies that um, are led by people that look like me and you and Mm. people that look a lot of it's over indexes for underrepresented founders, which I think is beautiful. Right. So we picked the niche for a lot of reasons. So our thesis was also because it's an underrepresented, it like high, has a high index for underrepresented founders. I wow. had that experience in my previous fund when I looked at founders that uh, we brought in that were focused on creative tools, but they were still building the future of commerce for creators. And so what we, we're, it's the same niche. There's a lot of people of color, a lot of women, and mm. they just need to be, you know, empowered with capital and guidance and things like that when they want, it. you know, sometimes they don't want it. Yeah, yeah, and wraparound services. I love it, man. Mm -hmm. You know, let me ask you for the aspiring fund manager or even founder that's currently Mm -hmm. listening right now. You know, how would you recommend that they, what do they do to, you know, start a business? You know, how do you Mm -hmm. uh, encourage them to approach it in fundraising? What would you tell them? Two to three tips on Mm -hmm. practical takeaways on what they can do to keep moving forward. I think what you said earlier about what you do as a business Mm -hmm. is spot on. Like you focus on your customers, right? And as uh, from a aspiring fund manager perspective, you have to do the same thing. You have to focus on your customers and the customers are the founders. So if you're adding and making a name for yourself with what value that you contribute to founders, mm-hmm. right? Either in calls and in support through legal or mm-hmm. support through connections or some type of value add dinners, introduction, something that's the way to go right Mm. to make sure that you key in on your net promoter score that you would have with founders or with uh your customers and make sure that that reputation 
is what leads you to building what you're building. Like you understand the customer's problem. I understand entrepreneurs, making mm. sure that you're very close and intimate to the problems they're solving and the intimacy that you have with them will dictate how you will be able to build out your firm. So that's my, that's my biggest advice as, as, as point one, the intimacy and proximate nature that you have with the people that you are going to deploy capital to or that you're going to solve the problem of as a founder is germane, right? So that's the first step. And then the second step is with just like founders, GPs have to build relationships with investors. Mm. And the first step to doing both is a relationship. It's not the ask. And if you don't have the relationship with the capital, if you need to raise it, right? And I'm assuming that most people are going to need to raise that capital, then figuring out and mapping and being diligent on building the relationships, restarting the relationships with people that actually have the relationships to capital, right? And it's like, you're basically chopping wood to get there. It's like, okay, I'm not in front of capital now. This person is, or they're not even in front of capital or the decision makers around capital, the person that they know is. So if you know you need to get to three layers deep of your network to get in front of capital, then you just have to plan that out and appreciate the length of time that it takes and the fact that the people don't have the relationship with you, they have the relationship with the person that referred you, right? And we all want to know that, you know, it's based on merit. Someone will meet you carte blanche, see what you're selling, and they just buy it. And I wish that was the case, but the numbers don't prove out, right? That's, mm. not, that's just not what happens. So knowing and going into it, knowing that uh, you have to expend the time and the energy to be close enough to the capital that they understand your what you're selling, understand who you are, and buy into you. That is the the fortitude mm. that you have to have as a founder and a GP. I love it, man. Hey, man, thank you so much, Shinadu, Do, for coming here and blessing us with some wisdom. I think you you bless you bless the podcast with a lot of wisdom. And a lot of people, founders and and, and aspiring people who want to really get into the space, they I think they're gonna leave away with so much so many takeaways from this episode, man. Where can the people connect with you and the journey and what you're doing with O21, man? So the best place to connect with me, people, uh, is LinkedIn. I like I'm a LinkedIn lover, right? But um, I'm on I'm on all the socials, you know, so you can find me on Clubhouse. You can find me on, uh, what is it, Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, Cope, C-O-P-E 84 on Twitter and Clubhouse, Cope um, underscore I-I on Instagram and Chinadu Anekwe on LinkedIn. Uh, and you'll find me on all those socials. Man, appreciate you, Chinadu. Thank you so much for hopping on the show, man. And much love to you and everything that you're building with O21. We, we look forward to having you on a future episode, man. No problem. I look forward to being here. Uh, hopefully when I have some news like a large fundraise for one of my portfolio companies where I can come back here and, and brag about how, <laughs> how amazing immigrants are. You know, immigrants, we get the job done. That's I love it, man. I love it. VC brags. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, Shinadu. Yeah. Talk to you, man. No problem. Take Shout out to our boy, Shinadu Inekwe, man, who's killing it with his new firm, 
021, really, really killing it. And shout out to him. And if you're a founder building the future of commerce, if you're an immigrant founder building the future of commerce, commerce and, and retail, please show him some love. Check him out. Check out 021. See how they can support you, work with you, pitch them. Um, I think they're open to it. More importantly, they're opening to they're open to empowering you in your journey as a founder and fundamentally as a business owner. Um, founder friendly firm, founder friendly guy. Definitely check them out. With that said, thank y'all so much for tuning into this episode. Please check out bigblacktea.com. We currently have a deal going literally $28 for two bags. BOGO. Get it? And we have an abundance deal going. One bag, the other one free. Literally. Get it. It's amazing. Shout out to our woman from Oakland, Kamala Harris, for being named the first Madam Vice President in the world ever. She's the first and only to ever do it. Shout out to her. And did you all see what Michelle Obama was wearing at the inauguration? Michelle Obama was killing it. And Barack Obama was like, I'm I'm stunned. You're amazing. I love you. Shout out to Barack Obama being the nice husband that he is. And shout out to Jesse saying, thanks, Tim. Great podcast. Jesse, really appreciate you, Mr. Roach. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please share with your friends if you love the energy and if you loved our charisma on this podcast. We love your support and we love your backing. Shout out to Jesse Roach for showing us mad love. In addition to that, make sure you check out our guideapp.co waitlist. We're still in build mode, getting better every single day. Get on our waitlist. We are building every single day, day one for us at Guide, and we continue to have a filled waitlist and build our amazing creator community. Please join us in the journey. This journey is not over at all by any means. It's a movement, and we truly at Guide take every day as day one. All right, y'all. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. Get your big black tea. Get some get to sipping join our big black tea community uh we currently continue to scale our wholesale program which is amazing uh we've seen so many people reach out to us to be a part of the program and you know it's been really positive the start of a new year for us as a business and as a movement so if you are looking to sip in peace and find euphoria in the moment please check out bigblacktea.com all right y'all talk soon peace <laughs>